podcast of the Cody Pickett Fan Club. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about the NFL draft and the Huskies who were largely were not taken in it, as well as where we stand to date in recruiting. I am joined tonight by Gaby Lucas. How are you doing, Gaby? Hello. I'm doing, uh, we'd have to think about that. I'm doing fine, actually. I just, I did a Zoom uh, pub quiz before this with some friends, friends of friends, and was thoroughly average. So that is that's a way to make my day fine. Fine enough. I I kind of feel like we had a little bit of a head start on the uh, virtual social life uh just in general because we these podcast recordings are quite similar to how all work meetings and social interactions happen now. So at least in terms of like remembering not to talk over each other and being used to listening to people on your a headset and stuff, I feel like we had a little bit of practice with that. Have you noticed that at all? Well, I mean, it helps that we're both um, clinically geniuses, so we're just, like, really natural. That's why we never speak over each other on this. Mm-hmm. We never have awkward five-second pauses where both of us go, oh, what's that? Oh, no, you go. No, you go ahead. So, you go ahead. You go. You go. You go. Okay, yeah. That was stupid. Yeah, it's never I happened. Not yet. feel bad for everyone listening to this. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way, uh, let's talk about the NFL draft. Uh, Did you spend much time actually watching the draft this year? I I know some people love watching the draft, and some people absolutely deplore it and treat people who do like watching it like lepers. I've always fallen into the first camp. Like, I I skipped my junior prom in high school because it was the same day as the draft, and I wanted to watch it with some of my friends. Uh, And (laughs) I've kind of stuck with that. I, I like the draft more than I like. NFL football, that, and it's not that yeah. close. Yeah, right, that too. Um, where do you fall on that? Do you enjoy watching the draft? Yeah, I think it depends year to year. I think this year, I, I I was in a similar camp to I think a lot of people this year where we're so, like, just so desperate for any sports content that I went kind of full in. I wa- the first, uh, first night I watched all of, um, obviously, because that's the easy one, um, and then, and because I wanted to watch Joe Burrow get drafted, because, um, which if you're looking for, if you, if you, anyone listening to this hasn't cried already too many times, uh, from the absolute cluster that is the world, uh, go, go watch Joe Burrow's Heisman speech. And those are, those, those are, are good tears. So I wanted to watch that, um, and then just watch, see if Eason, I knew it was like such a long shot for him to make the first round, but I thought, you know, maybe, Maybe there was a chance. Um, there wasn't. Uh, and then second day, oh, second day, I actually, my, my, uh, I went to my sister's to play Animal Crossing because her and I have both been, uh, her and, her and my brother-in-law have both been like mega isolated and I've been mega isolated. So we did the math and we, we can, um, see each other by ourselves. So I played Animal Crossing and followed the, the, um, draft on my phone, like religiously. And then, uh, Third day, I watched pretty much all of minus a I don't know like a forty five minute walk in between. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting in the same way that that recruiting is interesting in that you can't whether it's in the NFL or college, I feel like you only get a half of the story of um who's who doesn't suck and but more importantly which trajectories they're going if you're just watching on field play, you know, um which for many people is fine, that's all they want and I totally respect that and frankly I respect that more than caring about the things that I just talked about. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's that's kind of the camp I fall into. Although there's yeah, plenty of years yeah. where I just don't really give it that much of a crap. I just kind of follow it on Twitter. There's also there's something about the like, hope springs eternal in the draft yeah. and in recruiting. I think that's a really good comparison because it's it's you can just think about all these different permutations and things happen so fast. It's kind of similar to I think the NBA has done a good job of recreating that with the way they do free agency, where it all kind of counts down to happen over like a 12 hour period. So it's kind of like another draft and everybody's head is spinning. And there's a, I was like, if this domino falls, then that domino is going to fall. And it's, it's very totally. fun in that regard. And it's, it's different from watching the games because that's kind of the end product, like you were referring to. Yeah. Uh, but getting to watch uh, the sausage get made is kind of fun in this regard, especially like we all grew up in an era, not only live in an era, but grew up in an era where like video games and fantasy sports are universal. So you are everybody kind of positions themselves more as uh, like the general manager of a team now than I think they did 30 years ago. So it's, it's you know, it, it kind of lets you live out those fantasies. Uh, but while we're doing that, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the – we talked about Huskies <laughs> oh, maybe no. getting taken in the draft and where they would get taken in the draft. Um, you know, I don't think we, we were – right for the most part. Yeah, we kind of were. Um, only two Huskies <laughs> got taken. I think a lot of the, the guys we thought were marginal cases ended up not getting picked. Uh, notable exceptions, I, I think everybody expected Hunter Bryant to get picked. Uh, and I think yeah. most people thought Trey Adams would – somebody would take a flyer on him in spite of his health issues because he had so much talent before. Um, but let's start at the top. Uh, even another player who didn't, uh, you know, get picked as early as he probably would have cool. hoped is Jacob Easton. Uh, he ended up being probably a round later and one quarterback pick later than he probably would have uh, hoped where his floor would be. Uh, we heard a lot about Jalen Hurts kind of rising up draft boards at the end of the process. I think most people would have had Eason fifth about a week before the draft behind, you know, uh, we started out with Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and uh, Love were, it seemed like, pretty solidly ahead of him in, in most consensus rankings. But he ended up going to the fourth round, which is a little lower than he probably would have liked, going to the Colts, which is probably a pretty good situation for him. Give me your general read on the process of watching Eason slide and then the ultimate pick going to the Colts in round four. I mean, just as a, U, just as a UW fan, it kind of, the second day felt kind of like a little nightmare scenario. Um, and similar, similarly, I think the third day felt, felt kind of had that same vibe um, in regards to Ahmed, Adams, and Bryant. Um, but just because, you know, it's like you're not expecting him, you're not expecting Bryant, or not Bryant, Easton, um, to go that high. But especially after, you know, all four of the that first year of quarterbacks were taken in the first round, it felt to me like, I remember at, at, the, um, at the end of the first round, or with a few picks left, I forget who, I, I had a thought where, you know, oh, well, crap, you know, maybe these guys are going off really quick. There actually might be a, it's unlikely, but there might be a, a situation where Eason does make it into the first round, which even at that point I thought was unlock, unlikely. But 
I thought that the way that the first night uh, happened seemed like it was really positive for him. And then for Hertz to be taken off, uh, you know, I'd say earlier than we were expecting in a situation where most people weren't expecting um, ahead of Easton into Philadelphia. And then for there to be such a drought in between that kind of next year that the NFL clearly evaluated that it's Hertz kind of alone at the second tier and then Easton to be that far back was something that it, it, it kind of had that like dead pit in my stomach simply as someone who wants representatives of UW to do well for the university's sake. Um, what the silver lining to this though, I think is, I think this is kind of the exact situation that if he's going to be successful in the NFL, which, you know, who knows, I think this was the scenario that would be the most likely chance to make it happen because inherently that means that expectations for him are so, so much lower than if, you know, he's picked earlier, mid and second, and he uh, gets to sit behind rivers. And I think just the act of, you know, if we had a pit in our stomach, watching this happen I can't even imagine what it's like to be him or or his family or whatever so I can't imagine being him having this happen and not having a major um kind of wake up you can call it a wake up moment you can call it a chip on your shoulder you know whatever it is that you need to kind of light that fire under your ass and I I think there was potentially who knows a risk of of complacency if you're Easton and you get drafted uh earlier or, you know, second round, whatever, I think we know with his tools that potentially there he could be great. And I think while that is still not super likely, this is probably the only scenario where that um, gets realized. Yeah, I think that's right. And there are a few factors that play into that. I think you were kind of to, to conclude the math that you were doing, I'd like to have former Huskies represent the team and the program well in the pros for the reputation of the school, recruiting in the future, just general bringing glory to the name yeah. of the school and whatnot. But I think they do that even better that than... So you know, it. holy shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, for great glory in the country. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in Soviet Russia, pick draft you. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, but I think playing well in the NFL ultimately does that better than getting drafted early. Like, I don't oh, think really, the yeah. fact that Jake Locker was the what was it, the eighth overall pick or the tenth overall pick, uh, and then flamed out pretty badly. Like, I don't think that was good for Washington's quarterback recruiting. If Easton gets picked in the fourth round and three years from now takes the Colts to the playoffs, that will be good for Washington's reputation. Uh, and I think, you know, there are a few variables in Indianapolis that help him. You mentioned that he will have a chance to sit and get coached. Um, we've talked before about not being sure whether the things – he needs to improve on are all that coachable. Like there are some things his footwork in the pocket, reading progressions beyond the first one, dealing with pressure. Uh, but then just the general processing of a, a defensive alignment at rapid speed, not clear if he could ever get coached up in that degree. If it could happen, he's in the right situation for it to happen. He has a head coach who has had a ton of success with a bunch of different quarterbacks. Uh, Frank Wright got the best out of Nick Foles in Philadelphia helped develop Carson Wentz. He went to Indianapolis. It got a really good season out of Jacoby Brissett when 
kind of didn't expect to be coaching Jacoby Brissett as a starting quarterback. So those are all really good things. And, you know, he, he kind of kept it simple for them. And if he can do the same thing for Easton over the next couple of years, that should help. And the other thing is when they talk about having a year to develop or a year or two to develop, it's so rare that you're doing it behind someone who's as entrenched as Rivers will be as the starter. It's not like he's coming in to sit behind Case Keenum or Brian Hoyer or something like a yeah. career backup where they're like, oh, don't worry, you can sit for a year. And as soon as the team starts two and five, uh, the coach feels like he needs to insert the starter. Like this is the team is going to try to make the playoffs and they have a veteran quarterback who's really good, uh, really old. It might only be one year, but it is a full year unless he gets hurt. So Easton yeah. has the right coaching and the right time frame. If he can turn those things into like actually closing the gaps, this is the right situation for it. I'm not going to say I expect it to happen, but he needs those things as a prerequisite for it to ever happen. I would say. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, I do love I do love just on a personal note, I love you referring to Philip Rivers as a great quarterback because even though he is he is relative in the grand scheme of all NFL quarterbacks that have ever been, he's obviously in the top percentile. Um but I love as somebody who my whole sports background is like throwing torque and leverage, watching <laughs> him play is like so painful. As far as being like, oh, look at how – look at what you do with your left arm, you idiot. Like, you've been playing for 15 years in the NFL. There's – you have, like, these very concrete things. He kind of reminds me of Easton in, in the way that he has these very concrete things to it uh, that yeah. he could improve on so easily that – anyways, that's a, just a personal little – little. Except he managed uh, to do that and be, like, the, I don't know, 11th best quarterback of all time. Like, I don't think if Easton oh. never – if Easton, Easton fails to fix his pocket presence – He's not going to be an NFL starter. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Yeah, and somehow Rivers never fixed it. God, I remember watching yeah. him at North Carolina State. how good he could have been. He could have I, been so good. He, I don't know if it would have helped him. Feet. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's I, I do. <laughs> I could do a film yeah. study on a Philip Rivers uh, throwing mechanics that uh, would – oh, man, this is uh, this is the thing I've, I've been, like, such a bitch about since I was, like, 10 years old watching Philip Rivers. Or Wait, how old was I? Okay, not 10. I was older than that, but maybe – to 13 or 14, my whole quarterback critique in the NFL has always come back down to Philip Rivers' dumb throwing mechanics. <laughs> okay, sorry, I keep yeah, on coming up anyway, with like, personal notes uh, tonight. I- the other Husky who got drafted was Nick Harris. Uh, he, there was a wide, wide range of projections for him. There are people who exactly. said he'd get picked in the third round. There are people who said he wouldn't get picked. He ends up going to Cleveland. It's a team who last year seemed like they had pretty much everything in place except zero offensive line. So there's certainly an opportunity for him there either to start or, you know, maybe be kind of a backup at the interior offensive line positions. You know, the the book on Harris has always been, if he can keep his weight and his strength up, he has everything physically and uh, mentally and and technique wise to be a successful NFL player. Do we know any more than that now? Like, is this, is this the right situation for him? Um, so I, I did a little bit of research. I admittedly, I know so little about Cleveland other than, you know, the, um, like the high profile things that, uh, developments within their, with their team within the last year or so. But, um, so as far as I know, so their starting center now is 29. I think he is, um, I think he, I don't know exactly how many years, um, on his contract he has, but he's pretty entrenched and also entering his prime and from what I could glean from a little bit of uh looking at Cleveland people's thoughts on the matter, they seem 
they seem really happy with the situation uh, of the center situation with feeling like Harris can be a very, you know, very serviceable backup who, you know, when what's his face is over, uh, has potential to, to take over a role that obviously is, is, um, uh, favorable for him. Um, I think Cleveland's pretty well known for their, their zone blocking and, um, and Harris is known for really fast feet and smarts. Um, but yeah, I, I, it seems like a pretty decent spot from what I know. That being said, I'm obviously like the least of the people who could comment on the Cleveland Browns uh, interior offensive line specifics. I am probably the least, uh, uh, least have the least authority on that, <laughs> but um, that's my gut and the, what I can glean from the situation. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I'm typically not the biggest believer in talking about like heart and intangibles because I think that's it's Same. usually kind of a cop out for just things that are harder to scout or quantify. Uh, <laughs> but it really seems like Harris has everything going for him except for his overall size. And you know, hopefully they can get him on the right training program. I don't think we have, I think we have a good training program at Washington, so I don't know if that's going to make a big difference, but. Um, you know, I think he seems like a really, really great, uh, like, person to have on your team. So that should, you know, do him some favors in terms of getting more chances to stick around. Yeah. Um, oh, can I add? Yes, um, I also, even though, you know, he isn't big and, and adding on that size, it's, it stinks that he's not taller or wider in that there's less of a frame to put muscle on. That being said, the one thing I always did like about Harris was with him being relatively short, the amount of leverage that he is able to get and you is is really I mean, it's there it, there's a reason that you watch him and and even as a freshman when he was what, like two hundred and seventy five pounds, why he was able to hold up until Alabama pretty much. Um and so I think I I mean I don't know exactly how to quantify that, but I don't think it's you know as far as how many extra pounds quote unquote in effect that has. But I think there's a reason why people people always watch him and go, oh wow, for such a short guy, he's he's like good at holding his own. And I don't think it's for such a short guy. I think it's because he's such a short guy, you know, quote unquote yeah. at six foot well, one, whatever. Say. Yeah, yeah. Leverage, uh, is, leverage is a good thing. Yeah, as a small person, I'm. So there were a, a large handful of Huskies who were not drafted. I believe they all caught on as undrafted free agents at this point. But yeah. out of the group of Hunter Bryant, Trey Adams, Jared Hilbers, Savon Ahmed, Miles Bryant, Aaron Fuller, give me at least one, maybe two, that stand out to you, the situation they landed in, or just any general thoughts that uh, you've come across uh, since you, you know, since the, since the draft has ended with them. I think my gut is with um, Ahmed. I think even though he's, I, I mean, he's he's clearly the he's in such a kind of difficult position with his own body type um, and skill set. Or not with his skill set, but with his body type as a, as a running back in the NFL. Um, and it's kind of like uh, EJ, who we talked about or talked with at the, a few episodes ago during the uh, the Senior Bowl and all that, talking about you know running backs that are fast and shifty are kind of a dime a dozen. So Ackman, even though he he was fast prior to his NFL combine and presumably will get back to be fast, uh, that's not enough to make you stand out. Um, 
But that being said, I, I think when you look at what San Francisco has done, and um, I, they traded away Matt Breida, I believe. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit less competition there. And I think with um, with their propensity to utilize a lot of different running backs and Ahmed's potential in space, um, even though UW didn't use him as a pass catcher that much at all, I think there's definitely a lot of room there where – if you're San Francisco, why not use him as obviously he's a running back number one, but you can do kind of the McCaffrey thing of of really putting effort into uh, getting him the ball in space, you know, in the flat or or in, in uh, shorter routes or probably not wheel routes. I don't really know if he has that ability, at least not at this point in his development. Um, but I, I I wouldn't be shocked to see him in a couple of years have a kind of carved out sort of a niche role that that keeps him on, whether it's that roster or a uh, roster for a little bit. Um, I also know that, that Hunter Bryant, um, I forget the exact numbers, but for an undrafted free agent, his signing bonus is far, it was either his signing bonus or just his general contract terms uh, and number was pretty large uh, compared to what you typically see there. So, I mean, that at least tells you that, that he was coveted from that position, which makes sense by Detroit. Um, and so, I mean, you always want to be on a, on a team or in an organization that really wants to have you. And they clearly for, I mean, other than him not being drafted by them, they clearly do really want to have him. Um, so that, you know, as a, as a favorable area to be in, if you're going to be a UDFA. Yeah. And I, I would add with Bryant that going to, uh, Detroit, which is kind of like Midwest New England in terms of their brain trust. The Patriots were always extremely dedicated to using a lot of tight ends, not just having multiple tight ends, but you know, using them for mismatches, putting more than one guy on the field at once, uh, creating mismatches with the defense. And that's kind of what we would expect Bryant's value to be, that he's probably not going to give you a lot as a blocker. And as we discussed before, he may not really be all that fast to really make it as a primary receiving option. But if you can get him on, you know, covered by a smaller defender, it can be a major mismatch. And that's something that the Patriots have done for a long time. And, you know, we'll see if that's something they're trying to replicate in Detroit. I'd also add, speaking of the Patriots, that Miles Bryant is at least interesting in the sense that uh, the Patriots are always seem to be churning through new young defensive backs. They, they will pay mm-hmm. a couple, one or two really expensive corners and then cycle through and give opportunities to a whole bunch of other guys. Bryant, he's, he's kind of what we were saying about Nick Harris. He's just undersized. Like he can do everything you want him to do. Uh, he's not a burner, but he's not slow. He's a really good tackler. He's very instinctive, really, uh, really smart. And seems, you know, everybody seems to love him as a teammate. He's really little. He weighs like 181 pounds or something. It's it's going to be hard for him to hold up, but there might be a role there at nickel corner. So hopefully he will be doing well um, in that role, and it'll work for them. Um, any final thoughts about the draft? I, I, we didn't really talk about the bizarre nature of watching uh, a giant uh, fantasy draft over a Zoom call. Was there anything about that that you found particularly abnormal or funny? I enjoyed I enjoyed that um, seeing like because usually you have all the the top picks in the green room and they go out and like give Roger Goodell a handshake or in Danny Shelton's case squeeze the life out of him 
which is like kind of fun just for the uh, spectacle of it. But I think it's much more entertaining watching guys just on um and their friends and family on a uh, whatever you, on a camera at their house because I feel like it's just a more honest or genuine um, moment and. I don't know. I thought that was kind of fun, even though I think I, I feel like a lot of people didn't like this format. And obviously they're not going to the NFL is not going to do this in the future. But I I enjoyed it. I did, too. I liked it more than the regular format just because it's been like 15 years since everybody figured out how to walk up to the stage and wear the right suit and shake the right hands and pose correctly. Like when they were kind of uh, like not media savvy or not trained up on it by their agents and whatever, it was more fun. Like if something unexpected would happen. And now the craziest thing that ever happens is like, oh, some big guy like gave Roger Goodell a hug and he was big. It is like mm-hmm. not that spontaneous or funny. At least this yeah. like let us see like, like oh man, that guy's house is really tacky or like Cliff Kingsbury yeah. lives in the ultimate house. Like Dude. all that. It was very cool. Yeah. I want to live in Cliff Kingsbury. People have the nicest houses. Like I, what I were were was. Do you know if anyone was set up in houses by because how could you do that with the quarantine currently? Yeah. I don't know. But I pe- wonder the, the same houses thing. Yeah. People were in were like. Fancy stuff that I'm looking at, like, oh man, I that is like million millions of dollars? Question mark. Well, I don't know. Some of them, like uh, I think I one of the ones that looked really amazing was uh, Antoine Winfield, whose dad played in the NFL and who lives in rural Kansas now. So it's like you can do the math on that one. Yeah, yeah, I think somebody said that one of my friends when we were watching it was like that. That is a really nice house that the LSU boosters bought for them. So it's like <laughs> yeah. the, the Reggie Bush thing. That's totally all right with me. I don't care. Good for them. Yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah. Let's wrap up, my uh, wrap up draft talk. We'll take a quick commercial break uh, because there are still things being sold in this uh, post-commercial society. And we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about recruiting, even though uh, you know, we'll just give a quick update. We don't have any real insight on it, but we'll give a quick update. <laughs> and so stick around and we'll talk through that. And then we'll do our pointless recommendations. So stick around. All right, welcome back. Thanks for continuing to listen to All We Hear is Purple. We're going to talk a little bit about Husky football recruiting. Last time we connected on the podcast, the Huskies had two members of the 2021 recruiting class, Sam Heward and Zakari Spears. Since then, they've added three new commitments, all very large uh, young men, <laughs> two uh, defensive tackles and a tight end. That's Voy Tunuufi, uh, Kua'o Peihopa, from, uh, Tuna Uti from Salt Lake City is a 280-pound defensive tackle, and Pei Hopa from uh, Honolulu is a 306-pound defensive tackle, both of these as 18-year-olds. And Caden Jumper from Eatonville, Washington, is a tight end, 245 pounds. has been described as uh, Lindquist if he gave up on playing quarterback and just made himself a tight end full-time right away, which is a great description. Uh, where do you want to start with these, Gaby? What do you think of the new uh, commitments that the Huskies received, and wh- what are you looking for coming up next? Um, I should be disclaimer all of this with I haven't watched any of their film yet. Um, I have seen other people's takes on their film, and I intend to watch their film like yesterday or so, I guess tomorrow. Um, but just the fact that, especially after last year's um, week, DT class out west that UW pretty much just didn't even try for. 
um, other than what's his face out of Utah. Um, I, it's just really nice to get two guys back in the, in the, in the basket currently. Um, because the, I think the worst thing, if for all the, uh, college recruiting scary things as fans, nothing, very few things would be worse than getting to know DTs last year and then getting to like October or November and having none here again. Um, so just even, even though obviously JT uh, Toimalao is still like the guy you're going for from now until December, just just knowing that you at least have something there that have you know the body types to 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 work with, and uh, I think that's just an alleviation of a lot of stress just as a fan. Uh, and I, I yeah I should have watched their film before doing this. I apologize to everyone uh, listening to this. I don't know if that's like four of you, but whatever. Uh, but from seeing other people's evaluations, I solely on that, I am very excited. Um, I mean, I've been vocal in the past about how much I love, like, violent-handed defensive tackles and nose tackles. Uh, whenever I have an excuse to write about zero or one or three texts, I will take that up. Uh, so getting getting two potentially really good guys uh, who have been said to will – to likely be or to be candidates to rise into four star ranking, et cetera. Um, that pleases me verily. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good analysis of it. Like, it, just the, the idea that we've checked the box at this point, it's something that had to be done. Both these guys have a lot of upside. Team has a program, has a good history of developing guys with similar body types and backgrounds. Exactly. And it's a hard role to fill. Like, obviously, there just aren't that many guys whose bodies can hold 300 plus pounds and still be athletic and that's why it's such a prime position to fill it's just much harder to get somebody to who can do that than it is to find uh you know the the next best replacement wide receiver like the mm-hmm. 50th best wide receiver is a lot closer to the 10th best wide receiver than the 50th best 300 pound no tackle because that guy yeah, totally. does size or the athleticism to even be with the top guys um so yeah that, that's excellent i i think it's also this is also a year where we're certainly going to have to take two t- tight ends. So getting Jennifer in on board early is not a bad thing. I know there were some people who were kind of aiming higher, more more recruited tight ends. Uh, I certainly don't mind it. He doesn't look like a scrub by any means, uh, and it seems like there's probably some room for development on him because he has a lot of room to grow and he hasn't been a tight end for all that long. And I, I you know, this is kind of I kind of enjoy these challenge recruits where it's like the coaching staff seems to see something in him that other staffs don't and they went after him harder and earlier and got his commitment and now let's see if it works out like maybe they'll be wrong it's it would be a wasted scholarship and if they uh missed on somebody super talented because they took him early that would suck but if he hits that's really exciting because they unearthed something that nobody else could find which is cool um I was also curious, I've lived now in Washington for about 12 years. You've lived in Washington for most of your life. Do you have any idea where Eatonville is? I'd never heard of it until he committed. I always get Eatonville, uh, what is it? I get Eatonville, Eatonclaw, uh, Ephrata, and just normal Eaton confused, especially Eatonclaw and Ephrata for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, but yes, I do. It's down, it's like, if you did, okay, if you did, this is why we learned the Pythagorean theorem in junior high or whatever we learn it, is so that you can take, 
Renton, go south, then go make that 90 degree angle with Olympia, and then do that, and then you can figure out uh, distances and angles and shit. So it's like at the end uh, yeah. of the hypotenuse. Yeah, yeah, it's the 90 degree. What's that math? I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's kind of over in like yeah. East Thurston or South. I think it's East Thurston County. Oh, it's near LaGrange. Um, okay. Yeah, I, am, I, I, always, I, I like I playing the game that. where I. I zoom in on a city on Google Maps and zoom out one degree at a time until I can recognize something on the map. It took me about three clicks out from Eatonville to figure out where where it was on the map. Anyway, yeah, not super far away. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I I'm sorry to anyone listening to this who lives in southwestern Washington, and I might just be um, biased because of the amount of times for work I had to drive in back and forth between Seattle and like Snohomish County in Portland. I hate Southwest Washington so much and there's no real logic behind it. But I, 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 my, so my first thought when we get somebody from Eatonville's, ugh, not for him <laughs> personally, just for that whole, I don't know why I, oh, I just, maybe it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm well, just, I'm a finding out. Who's, there's somebody really good on the team from Kapowson right now, isn't there? I don't remember who it is, but Bill that's. Morris. Yeah, not, not that far away. Yeah, yeah, but it—it's. It, I don't know. I need to like do some psychoanalysis of my disdain for Lewis and Cowlitz counties. <laughs> I will. I mean, that's I guess a ways off, but I will agree with you that once you get south of Olympia, the drive on I five is extremely boring. Like for a part of the country that's as pretty as it is. Everything between Rainier and the coast is just kind of, like, not that exciting no. to drive through. It's weird, though, because it's boring, but it's not ugly. Like, it's still – I drive through it, no. and I go, this is still prettier than much of the world. But why do I hate it? I don't know. It's boring. It's it's boring, but not ass ugly. I don't understand uh, – my brain confuses me. My brain confuses my brain. Okay, sorry. We got way off topic, and that is 100% yeah. my fault. Continue. Um, no, I, I asked the question about Eatonville, so that's pretty far off topic to start with. Uh, so let's talk about uh, where we stand now with a recruiting class. I, I think there's been just kind of whispers of people being a little bit concerned that some of the uh, top-rated recruits that we're after are either have either committed elsewhere or are leaning elsewhere. Uh, it might be hard to reel guys in like Emeka Egbuka. It sounds like there's momentum for him toward Ohio State and the same with uh, Tuimoloayu, uh, the defensive linemen, who are the two in-state five-star recruits other than Sam Heward. Uh, sounds like they may – nothing is finished yet, but may both be headed to Ohio State. Um, and even uh, Julian Simon more recently sounded like there was momentum for him going to USC. So when you add all that up, it's kind of a, a large number of in-state prospects who seem to be uh, leaning elsewhere early on. Does that give you any concern, any pause? Are you are you just kind of like wait and see, or do you, uh, you know, feel more optimistic about it generally? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie and be like, no, it's fine, I'm good. Uh, it definitely sucks, um, but I definitely am uh, of the, just in general, with sports and life and everything tend to take a the approach of yeah that sucks but I'm not going to freak out at least until um 
until everything is set in stone, because especially when you're talking about 17 year old uh, boys in the body of men, <laughs> um, like, you know, those aren't decision makers who you want to put your mental health, uh, who you want to put in charge of your mental health, especially when it's such a long process. So I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend that I, I'm watching the rumblings of Amika and uh, JT to allow to Ohio State, and I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. Who cares? Like I, But, um, you know, we could all die from a pandemic before that happens, so <laughs> crossing our fingers. Uh, yeah, no, um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not happy, but going to save freaking out until later. And and for what it's worth, I mean, we knew that it, Jimmy Lake is a first-year head coach. We have another few uh, first-time coaches on staff or coaches who are new to Washington. Um, if you thought that this, even with the, how good the 2021 in-state class is, I think it would have been a little bit, uh, I guess we'll say, naive to think, oh, yeah, Jimmy's going to clean up and it's going to be easy. Um because if you're a five-star recruit getting everyone in the country to look at you, you know, Dabo Swinney, Ryan Day, um, and they're there and they're entrenched and they have already shown that they're going to take you to the playoff, no matter how good of a recruiter or a coach Jimmy Lake is, that's you can't let your fandom for Washington kind of blind you to the reality of how much the pull to go to those places that are almost ensured success would be. And I – as much as I want um, and hope that Tui Malau and uh, Amika Iguga come here, and as much as I think that would be a good decision, um, I'm not going to be all pissy at them if they don't. Because yeah, yeah, I, I I was looking at one of those way too early top 25s for next year, and uh, Huskies weren't mentioned in it or in the like also receiving votes or honorable mention section. And it's kind of, you know, frustrating at first. But, yeah, it's a first-year head coach, new offensive coordinator. It's a new quarterback, new running back, a bunch of new offensive linemen. Like, a huge, huge turnover from the team from last year to this year. And, yes, like, I, I'm relatively optimistic about it because I think there are a lot of areas where the team will be better than they were last year. Uh, I think the defense is going to be loaded this year. And I do think, I mean, from what I've seen of Jimmy Lake, I, I'm pretty optimistic about him. But there is at least a chance – that this team over the next few years just doesn't have what Peterson had that allowed them to get to 10 or 11 wins. And it's more like six or seven or maybe eight wins. And if, you know, oh, if I was, in, that. Don't you put that evil like, on I, me. I got, when, when I got that thought, when it went through my head, I just got like a sinking feeling in my stomach, but it's, it's not impossible. You know, we, yeah, there's a significant yeah. amount of turnover. And when I say that, this is to piggyback on your point about Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, who those guys aren't, don't have a chance of being seven perennially seven win programs in the next five years. So that's something that you have to think about if you're uh, Emeka Ekbuka. And I don't blame them for looking at it that way. So yeah, yeah, like Lake has to prove it, and and now go prove it. Like go out and win nine or ten games this year with your first year starting quarterback, and the momentum is going to change a lot. I'd also say that we've been in this exact position like four or five years in a row, where coming the spring and into the summer, and even getting close to the start of the year, there's widespread panic about the recruiting class, and it looks like we've missed on all of our key targets 
and then it completely turns around over the course of the fall. And, I, you know, that may be by design, like the team, the, the coaching staff wants to take their time, evaluate and build relationships over a longer period of time. It may just be that it's worked out that way, that guys who are more patient tend to uh, the, the message of the school resonates with that type of player. I, I don't know what the reason is, but it's not like a one off thing. This has been a trend over several years. And until that changes, honestly, I, I think we're further ahead of where I would, we're further ahead than I would expect to be at this point with five guys in the boat. Um, one of them is this superstar all-world quarterback, and a couple of them are uh, defensive tackles with the upside of being like four-star blue-chip prospects. So, you know, I'm, I'm not worried right now. Yes, I would love to have one or both of JTT or Ibuka, but the fact that we have two defensive tackles. We seem to be the leader for Troy Franklin, who's maybe not Egbuka, the number one receiver pro- receiving prospect in the country, but still number three receiving prospect in the country. It's pretty phenomenal. Like, I think uh, it could be better, but it's it's certainly not bad. Yeah, and that's kind of what I keep going back to, is um, the one difference between this year and all the other years is that Pete isn't here, and it's Jimmy instead. Um, and obviously, that is a huge difference, but Otherwise, you're exactly what you said. Like the 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 whole chronology of this recruiting the cycle is going the exact same way yeah. as 2020, 2019, 2018 really did. I think the last time uh, spring recruiting didn't look like a death march was 2017 when like Terrell Bynum I think committed in February or March or something, and a couple other people were the high star prospects were kind of close behind. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally feel that. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I think that's kind of where I sit in recruiting right now. We'll learn a lot. What the class is going to look like. Um, and we'll certainly talk about it more between now and then if the world doesn't end, as you, as you mentioned earlier, uh, before we wrap up, let's do our, uh, plugs and recommendations. Uh, obviously I think everybody in the world is just like, voraciously consuming content right now. So this might actually be one of the few times when those recommendations uh, carry some weight with them. What do you have uh, in your Netflix queue or bookshelf or whatever you've got going on? Um, Okay. I think I'm going to go with a Seattle comedian named Derek Sheen. Um, He's open for like everybody and their mother. He's open for Patton Oswalt. Of course, now I can't remember any other. Patton Oswalt's mother. Yeah, Pat Oswalt, Pat Oswalt's mother, Pat Oswalt's brother, Matt. Uh, no, but he's just like around all the time and he's, he's awesome and he tours everywhere and he's just a really good dude. Um, his fourth album, or his fourth special, uh, came out on, I forget which records, um, but it came out like a week or two ago. He used to be funny. I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard a lot of the stuff that he's, uh, used on it. Um, just live when he was working on and stuff. It's called Macho Caballero. Um, look him up. I think his Twitter handle is Derek Sheen Rules, spelled R-U-L-Z. Um, he's a really funny, really funny dude. If you, uh, you should, if you're looking for stand-up stuff, whatever, go find that, um, and listen to it. I, if, I believe it has a bit about, um, uh, watching a clown get murdered during the fall of 2016. Um, that is what, you know, when all those clown, people were dressing up as clowns and like terrorizing everyone else. That is the, I've, I never intended to laugh at, at um, the description of a 
person getting murdered, but it is genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever, I've seen him do it multiple times and it's so funny. Um, if that's not on it, then, you know, everything else is hilarious too. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, um, I'm thinking about rewatching the Americans because it's been years, two years since their finale, and I've finally built up the mental or the emotional bandwidth to rewatch it again. If anybody is listening to this and wants a drama to watch that is, uh, like, I think it's the best TV show I've ever, I ever have seen, um, please watch it and, and tweet me all of your reactions and thoughts and everything, because I like to live vicariously through people. And, oh, Oh, I think I want to rewatch it, but I don't want to get hurt again. It's so good. <laughs> it's a very good show. I good. we had I, I have I'm very very bad at facial recognition just in general. I, I don't know if it's like a symptom of a, a developmental disorder or something that was never diagnosed, but like extremely bad at at recognize, recognizing faces. And oh, when we would my wife and I would watch that. that show, I would constantly ask her who a character is, and she'd be like. That's the main character. She's wearing a wig. And this happened yeah. like a dozen times over the course of the series. It's very confusing yeah. to me. So I, so I was an easy yeah. part for the spies. It's, it's, yeah, it's the kind of show where you want to watch it and then have like a book club style discussion of it. It's, but like it's entertaining too. It's not like I feel like there's stuff that's just like deep in art, but you don't enjoy it when you're watching it. But man, fork, it's so good. It's very good, Ugh. yeah. I don't um, know if I have emotional. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, okay. going to recommend a book that's kind of out of the normal type, like genre that I read. It's called Station Eleven by an author named Emily St. John Mandel. You read We're this? Book club. Yeah, with it. No, I'm about to read it because a bunch oh, okay. of the Seattle comics have a Zoom book club. I missed, I missed the last book. So, yeah. There's, there's kind of a strange uh, wheels within wheels kind of story about this. Um, I. Somebody recommended this author to me. I guess she had a, a new um, book just come out. I don't know what that was called. I think it's called The Glass Hotel. just came out and won a bunch of um, awards. So I was going to read that one, and I, I went into uh, the Kindle uh, store and saw that she had this book come out a couple of years ago that also won a bunch of awards and uh, had, I don't know, great ratings or whatever. And so I bought this one instead because it, it kind of, I figured I might as well kind of order if I'm going to read them both. And in the first 30 pages of this book, I'm not going to spoil anything too major here because it's all at the very beginning. Um, I will murder you, spoil it. <laughs> the, in the first 30 pages, the main character finds out that there is a flu pandemic that has come into his town uh, has overwhelmed the hospitals and is causing people to not to die because they can't get ventilators. And they, uh, they, they he he goes to a local grocery store and makes a run on all of the non-perishable food items and takes an entire um, groceries cart full of toilet paper with him. And then finds out that the hospitals aren't able to treat everyone because uh, the caregivers are starting to get infected themselves and also uh, dying of respiratory uh, problems, which Fun. blew my mind because this book is uh, like five years old, I think. So this is all obviously yeah. written before the last three months. Um, I was, I looked up something about this. I think I was trying to find when it was published uh, before, when I, before I did this recommendation. It turns out 
it, they're turning it into a HBO science fiction miniseries. Um, well, it, long story short, the rest of the book is mostly about what happens after this pandemic hits and like the after effects of it. And that, they're turning that into a science fiction miniseries that started shooting this spring and had to be canceled what? because the show about the global viral flu pandemic was put on hold by a real global viral flu pandemic, which is <laughs> mind boggling to me. It is so bizarre and funny. I'm I, like, I'm not happy that it happened, but I'm kind of, I'd like if it had to happen, this is the kind of thing. It's like a, a dump truck towing it, or a, a whatever, a tow truck towing it, a tow truck. It's really good. Um, that's that is pretty nuts. Okay, I was given. I I knew the basics of it, but I I my friend who's like the head of our little comics book group um, gave a different uh, a di- a different little like log line for it for us. I think it's because I mentioned to him earlier that I was like, I don't know if I have it in me to read anything about a, a dystopia. And <laughs> he just got better at marketing. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really excited to read it. I've heard really good things. Yeah, it's good. I, um, cool. It's And it's it's one of those things where like different elements are connecting slowly over time. And uh, it's very fun to see them coming together as it goes on. I, so I yeah, I recommend that. that. Uh, I think that's all I've got for tonight. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, I thought you were going to say any final words. You know, tell my mother I love her. Um, <laughs> no, I'll do that. Uh, nope, not at all. I'm just static in my head, running all right. like a deep. And with that, thanks okay. for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about, you know, whatever happens or nothing at all. should be easy enough to do. Uh, if we turned, got 45 minutes out of talking about guys not getting drafted and recruits not coming to Washington, we should be all right for next time. So uh, <laughs> thanks for sticking around to the end, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.